Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we have groundbreaking news. We've been hard at work behind the scenes creating the newest product we cannot wait to share with you. Casey's much better at telling you all the specs and all the deets. So Casey, tell them what we've been up to. We have created a bitches talk a lot, I mean a mock, which is a 175 question audio mock exam. This means you can listen to 175 questions wherever you are, whether you're driving, whether you're working out or you're on a walk or doing laundry or cleaning your house. We don't care. We just want to have you always be studying. So the audio mock is five hours long. It has 175 questions from the fifth edition task list. We give you detailed feedback on why the question is correct and why the other ones are wrong. We also tell you where you can locate that question in your task list. You know your girls had to give you some reinforcement, so we set up a schedule of reinforcement on an FR10. Every 10 questions that you answer, you get some motivation from the bitches. It also has some fun music and typical bitchy banter you come to expect with the bitches. So... Head on over to www.studynotesaba.com and get your audio mock today. And of course, as always, love ya. Mean it. It's behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. And we are here with episode 96. Casey, what do you have for us today? Episode 96, somebody go get me a Twix. Guys, we are falling desperate for rhyming words. If you can't tell, Casey before this was like, I don't even like Twix. And I'm like, (laughs) just roll with it because we've had so many tech problems that we just need to get this going. So we're here trying to build some behavior momentum. And with behavior momentum, I think it'd be great to start us off with some pairing of reinforcement. So Casey, can you please tell us our review of the day? What does someone have to say that is nice about us only? So this one's coming in from Valley Ice. So relatable. It's great to find an ABA podcast that isn't a snooze and is so relatable. Coming from another behavior analyst with a potty mouth who also loves wine. Thank you, Valley Ice, for that five-star review. We love that shit so much. And we love that you have a potty mouth and that you love wine. Those are cool things about you. So, Liat, talk to us about what we are going to talk about today on the podcast. So today I actually think the podcast topic is going to be – I think a lot of people are going to relate – to what we're talking about. We're going to be talking about obsessive thoughts um, and um, what we're going to talk about it, whether like what makes something like an OCD obsessive thought versus just an obsessive thought, the treatment that is used for it. Um, When we spoke to this guest originally, actually I spoke originally and then Casey and I both spoke and then we were supposed to meet and then Texas froze and then we're here now. So this was meant to happen. I, I I was just so excited about the topic because I had originally been looking in one direction. And then when I spoke to this guest, I realized all the directions that it could go. So I'm super excited for our guest today. Not to mention her sister was one of our students and is now a BCBA and I'll let you guys know who her sister is in a little bit. And hi, sister. We love you. You're amazing. Casey, who is our guest today? All right. Our guest today is Laura Pastel Shames. She is an MSW clinical social worker in Miami, Florida, who specializes in the treatment of obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety disorders. She utilizes evidence-based treatment for OCD, including cognitive behavior therapy and exposure and response prevention. She graduated with a Bachelor of Psychology from Suffolk University in Boston, Massachusetts. 
She then earned her master's of clinical social work from Simmons College. She spent four years working as a community residence counselor at McLean Hospital in the Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Institute. While working on her master's program, Laura interned at Franciscan Children's Hospital in the community-based acute treatment unit and at Boston Public Schools in the Homeless Education Resource Network. Upon graduating from Simmons, Laura, who's a native of Puerto Rico, moved to Miami where she joined Rogers Behavioral Health as a therapist in their first bilingual clinic, which opened in February 2019. She works at Rogers Partial Hospitalization and Intensive Outpatient Programs, providing therapy in English and Spanish, primarily to patients diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder and related comorbidities. Laura is a member of the International OCD Foundation and is fluent in English and Spanish. And she's the sister of Amanda Shames, who is one of my favorite students. So, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you guys. Amanda is just obsessed with you guys, and she talks such awesome things about you. And I mean, I've been hearing about you guys throughout her whole studying journey. So it's been it's been awesome. To, I think she would say she, she would make you listen to the podcast with her. Am I making this up? No, that's absolutely true. She would. <laughs> Didn't you guys drive somewhere? Yep. Yep. She loves to talk about you. But then she would also just tell me like all the jokes that you guys use to study because I'm actually studying for my exam now. So I, I study that same way. I think it's really important actually to use all those like really inappropriate things to talk about to help you remember these things. <laughs> it's really, really helpful. Absolutely. The novelty. The yeah, novelty. The what it's boards are you studying for? Um, for the licensure for the LCSW. Awesome. Yeah. Good Sorry, we don't, we don't offer that yet. We don't have study notes LCSW I know. We got to gotta get that going. Yeah. Well, I'm going to need your help because I'm not an expert in that. Um, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> Here we go. So, guys, we have some behavioral concepts we're going to cover today. And I know there's going to be a lot more because even in our conversation on the phone, it was just like, oh, we call that this, we call that this, we call that this. So today we will definitely be talking about behavioral concepts, habituation, exposure and response, prevention, intervention. Those are the three we'll be covering five sure, but I know there's definitely going to be a lot more. So can you tell us a little bit about what your daily job that you do looks like? What do you do for the time you wake up in the morning? I'm assuming maybe you brush your teeth. And then when you go into work, what does it look like? It's funny because it looks a little different these days because of COVID. Um, <laughs> but let's say a year ago, um, you know, typically, the, so I work, as you guys mentioned earlier in the intro, I work right now at, with a partial hospitalization program and an intensive outpatient program with Rogers Behavioral Health. Um, so when they come to us, it's because they're at this level of severity that's really kind of interfering with their day-to-day life. Um, some of them, you know, are, are, you know, not being able to function at school or at work or in their families. Um, so in my, in the this level of care, partial hospitalization and an intensive outpatient, they're coming to us for basically from 9 a.m. until 3 o'clock. They're attending groups. They're uh, meeting with me for individual sessions with a psychiatrist. So it's a, it's a, you know, team effort. We have, it's an awesome, you know, approach to have the opportunity to have the medication component in the same place. But basically what I'm doing, the most important part of what I'm doing is the ERP. So the exposure and response prevention treatment, where we're, you know, having with the OCD sufferers, we are having them basically confront their biggest fears, to put it simply. <laughs> So before we continue any further, you know we like an operational definition. So can you define for us what is actually consi- – what is – I think people use the word OCD lightly very often. Like, ah, sorry, I'm so OCD. Um, you can see Absolutely. the way I, I do my face care routine. I'm so OCD. And Absolutely. as – much as I know, that's actually really annoying to someone who actually has OCD. Absolutely. Um, so can you tell us what OCD is and give us an operational definition of yeah. what is and what is not OCD? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's a really good point. I think that, you know, when people are using this terminology of like, I'm so OCD, 
it's it can be really offensive and there's you know so many issues that go into that but I'll get into that in a sec so basically obsessive compulsive disorder is made up of obsessions and compulsions and sufferers will engage in compulsions with the intention of reducing the anxiety caused by the trigger or the obsession however um you know the the compulsion is really not helpful at all it actually creates a lot of distress and you know the compulsion let's say you know somebody with uh contamination right so they, they're contaminated, their hands feel contaminated. So they are like, well, my compulsion would be go and wash my hands. But, you know, just washing your hands, rinsing your hands, that's not enough. So it becomes this thing. I need to do it for this amount of time, for this amount of numbers, this amount of songs. Um, and then it becomes something where, you know, meanwhile, you know, they're washing their hands. And meanwhile, um, you know, they're missing their whole date with their boyfriend or they are missing a whole class, or, you know, while they're engaging in these behaviors. So that's when it becomes a problem, when it becomes something that's actually really interfering with their life. Um, the thing is that people are really able to logically see that these things don't make sense. However, the feelings and the thoughts are so strong, so powerful that they are, it's really hard for them to ignore them. It's just like, it's very hard to just be like, ah, oh, whatever. I just, it's just a feeling or a thought. No, it feels like this is life or death. Um, and then, so it's really important. So when people are talking about OCD, you know, and saying this whole thing of, I am so OCD, I do this and that you need to be, first of all, diagnosed by a therapist or psychiatrist. Um, it's, it's, it's something that needs to be fully diagnosed. Um, because if you have some OCD tendencies, that's, you know, that's something different than having this full on diagnosis of OCD, in which case we want to target that appropriately. Um, and then, so on to what you were saying about this, um, I'm so OCD, right? People are like, oh yeah, I'm so OCD, my skincare routine or things like that. So there's a whole campaign about this in the International OCD Foundation. And it's basically, so people, the problem with this is that people then go treat for so many years because they feel like there's so much stigma um, if they speak up about the things that they're experiencing. And, you know, often a lot of these people have um, obsessions that are sometimes, the nature of them are not necessarily appropriate you know they're they're mostly taboo right so if they're talking about like hey i'm having this thought that i want to make out with my mom like that's that's weird right so it's yeah. a it's something like how do i tell even a therapist you know a therapist which you think i'm supposed to feel comfortable telling them everything that's a really weird yucky icky thought i don't want them to judge me right and then you hear these people saying these comments it kind of like diminishes that experience for them um so that, you know, then they, the problem is that then people tend to kind of avoid talking about it and engage in compulsive behaviors, which is a really bad problem, a big problem. The people that I'm treating, at, right, within my level of care are much more severe cases. So if they're coming to us, it's because, well, several reasons. One could be because they've already tried outpatient therapy and that wasn't working. Or it could be because... Um, they, there's no access. That's a whole other issue, right? Like the access to to appropriate uh, providers that that really know what they're doing and really know how to treat this properly. So, just to compare part of it to ABA a little bit, um, you know, when we're choosing target behaviors to work on, we call them socially significant behaviors. Something that is, you know, interrupting with someone having like a meaningful life, um, a quality of life. Absolutely. And it seems like that's the people who are the individuals who are coming to you um, as well as if someone really has the OCD diagnosis, it really is impeding in their life and their quality of life in some way. Is, exactly. is that right? Absolutely. Yep, exactly. Um, so, you know, there is that outpatient level of care where they go maybe see their therapist one time a week. And then, you know, where I used to work, which was residential at, at McLean um, Hospital, that was, you know, a, a much, you know, more severe, severity, higher severity. And the truth is that I think even at this level of care, we're working with pretty severe cases as well. However, you know, what really makes the big difference is when the person, one, is motivated to do the treatment and two, is willing to do the treatment because this therapy sucks. Mm -hmm. It really sucks. It's it's horrible. It's torture. I, I'm literally torturing people. That's what I do for a living. I torture people. Um, it hurts. It's painful. It's yucky. It's it's like everything you don't want to be doing. So um, it's literally, literally need right? To be like it's yeah. literally yeah. 
the thing yep. you hate more than anything. Absolutely. It's it's just it's horrible, but you know, it's if you're if you want to to live a life that you're you feel um, doesn't I always describe this as like when, when people come to me I'm like it's like you're covered in, in spider webs and I want to kind of get all those spider webs off of you so you can actually start engaging with your life living your life um, and so I actually wanted to mention when I explain to people what is OCD and how does OCD work when I think of this and I think many people um, that, that work with OCD describe it like this it's it's we see it as the need to know disorder right so people spend a lot of time trying to figure things out. What is figure out? What if I didn't do this? What if I did do that? Or, um, you know, always, and, and you could apply this to every subtype of OCD. And, and we'll get into that a little bit. But I just think it's really important for people to keep that in mind. Is it, does it feel like I need to know? And if so, red flag, red flag. Because if it's something that I feel like I need to know, then that is most probably an OCD uh, type of thought. So are those the compulsions that you talked about, like reassurance, seeking, checking, yep. ruminating? Yep, exactly. Exactly. So they'll engage in these behaviors with the purpose of trying to figure things out. So, um, yeah, like checking the fridge to make sure that I closed it and that, you know, God forbid the air comes out and then my food gets ruined. But it's kind of it seems silly. And even they're able to acknowledge the fact that, you know, it's not a, a big deal, but it doesn't matter logically because we don't use logic when it comes to OCD treatment we're really thinking about the feelings and and the thoughts right the thoughts feel so real that it doesn't matter how much logic you use it's crap um so they'll well it is real to that yeah. individual exactly. it is like it's exactly. not just feeling real like it's a hundred percent real exactly like, yeah I'm, I'm assuming they probably will it will probably like evoke behaviors that like they don't even want to be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they want to be hanging out with their friends. They want to be with their families. They want to be, you know, getting, going to school, getting their education, getting a career. However, instead they are, you know, at home organizing their shelves or um, washing their hands, stuck in the shower, um, you know, calling to make sure that their family members are safe. Uh, and then that's, you know, putting it, lightly you know that these compulsions take over and that's 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 the worst that's the problem that's the big problem so what I, what i want to know is so i i I'd, I'd say that there's definitely like the the ocd that the the average person thinks of and i think it would be like hand washing closing cabinets like counting how many times you do something like that is the like the generic, or I think that what a lot of the world thinks of. But when I was talking to you on the phone and you were telling me about these intrusive thoughts and, you know, I was thinking on some level, I've had intrusive thoughts of things that are like, wait, why am I, and and I don't have OCD, but like being so disturbed by certain thoughts I was having ob obsessively. So what are some Inter more unique or interesting or off the typical radar of different OCD, um, is it obsessions you said or? Um, Triggers. Yeah. Some of the, t so yes, you're right. So contamination and perfectionism, those are like the ones when people think stereotypically, like what's OCD? Like, oh, the person who washes their hands a lot, the person that showers a lot, the person that likes to have their pencils in order and color coded and things like that. And that, you know, it's, it's complicated because those are, they're, they're seen in this way. That's like, Oh, you, you know, they'll, they'll get over it. Just these silly behaviors. But when you see somebody who's suffering so bad and it's like, if they don't do this, like, like it's just, everything is horrible. It's, it's a lot of like that black and white thinking, a lot of like cognitive distortions where like it's the worst. Right. Um, so some of the other um, types of, of um, subtypes for OCD is, for example, like sexual orientation OCD. That one has actually been pretty big recently, um, kind of that feeling of MIK. Um, so, you know, these people are also, they have nothing against homosexuality, by the way. Usually it has nothing to do with like, oh, like I don't want to be gay or anything like that. It's just, am I gay? I need to know. I need to know, right? I need to know disorder, going back to that. So I need to know, am I gay? Do I want to go down on, you know, uh, a girl or something like that, right? So like, so then what's the problem? Then they'll start, you know, checking and, and engaging in these 
compulsions, right? So for example, they'll start testing themselves. Okay, there's, there's, you know, for example, myself, a female, right? So I'd, uh, if I were engaging this, it would be like, if I see a girl um, anywhere, I have to stare at, I'll stare at her boobs. Let me see if I'm attracted to her. Do I like her boobs? Do I think, do I think they're attracted? What about her vagina? What about the vagina area, the crotch area? Do I want to look at that or do I want to look away? Right. So when they start doing that, that can be a compulsion, but also making sure that they're not looking at it. Right. So it depends. And it depends on the person. The compulsions Wait, are always I different. I definitely had this. Like at age like 12 or 13 or something, when I found out what a lesbian was, I was like, well, how do I know I'm not a lesbian? Like, how do yeah. I know? I have no idea. Like, what is a lesbian? Oh, my God. How do you know if you are? What if I am? Oh, my God. Did I just think that girl was pretty? Okay. I don't want to think about this anymore. I'm not thinking about it anymore. Okay. Now I'm not thinking. Now I'm not thinking. Oh, my God. Now I'm thinking about it again. And I was like, I was – I remember being so uncomfortable and telling my mom, like, mom, I don't know what to do. How would I know if I am a lesbian? Yeah. And yeah. – I'm so not. you know what you did there? You know what you did there? What? You sought, you sought reassurance. From my mom? Yeah. It's kind of like, well, in, in a way, right? Because it's kind of like, I can't figure this out. You, can, do you know? Like, can you tell me? Right? And then, so, but, but I could see how people are so uncomfortable absolutely. because I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is go to my mom and, and she's going to think I'm saying it as like, oh, she definitely is. Oh my God. What are we, you know? And Absolutely. so I could only imagine what these other individuals, because I just remember these like times of my life and being like obsessed with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and, and, you know, we see people of all ages coming with, with these, with these um, obsessions. You know, I, I work really with adults, but we, we also have a program for the kids in the same, in the same, uh, in Rogers. So, you know, this is something that people come in and all with all ages and again, it has nothing to do with like, oh, gay people it has nothing to do with that. It's really just like, am I gay or not? Because I need to know because, you know, I want to find my partner and is it going to be a woman or a man or who is it going to be, you know? Um, so it's really all about like, I need to know, I need to know, I need to know. So they engage in all these really unhelpful um, compulsions. And then, you know, some other ones, for example. So that one actually, um, I, I was recently talking with some people from the Found International City Foundation and I was told that that one has actually been one of the most like searched ones on Google, um, like people like they're able to track like what people are Googling. Um, oh, don't quote me on this, but I, I, I believe this is what he was telling me is that they're able to track, um, you know, and they'll, they'll, they've noticed that that has been a big topic. And so we were talking a little bit about why that might be and it. You know, it could be that back in the day, like it wasn't as openly discussed this whole idea of like, you know, have, being gay or even like, you know, so nowadays people are a lot more open. So it's something that you see a lot on the news, you see not on social media, you see it everywhere. So it's something that it seems people are kind of like pretty stuck on this one. It tends to be. Um, so some other ones, for example, um, a lot of harm obsessions, right? So what if I kill my daughter? What if I stab my husband? What if I rape my son? What if I run someone over? Um, so again, like, these are all normal thoughts, right? Like not, you know, not normal, but like these are all thoughts that we, everybody has. Everyone has weird thoughts, thoughts we don't want to have. Like, I don't want to think about that. And the truth is that it's possible that you ran someone over. It's possible um, that technically like it's possible that you want or you can kill your daughter, right? You can technically stab her. Are you going to? That's where it gets, right? So it's all about, and we're going to get into this, but like the, you know, learning to live with uncertainty is the goal in this treatment. So another subtype also um, similar to this is incest, right? So what if I'm turned on by my mom? Do I, do I, do I want to have sex with my brother? Do I, um, you know, am I sexually attracted to my whatever, right? So a lot, that's one's, that one's actually pretty common as well. Like, do I like it when my mom holds my, you know, puts her hand on my shoulder? Am I attracted to her? Am I turned on? Um, and then, you know, all the, the compulsions that go into that. So checking, am I aroused? Am I, do I want her to do that again? Um, so then maybe avoiding, avoiding is a huge compulsion. So making sure I'm not anywhere near my mom and making sure I never touch her or anything like that. I'm using my mom as an example. I tend to use my mom a lot for examples. For some you can be talking about anyone's mom. <laughs> it's funny because I, in groups and in sessions, I tend to, um, kill my mom a lot. <laughs> In my in, in my examples, I don't know why. It just like you know, in my examples, I tend to kill my mom a lot. In Poor in mom. these examples, 
Like now, well, hormones. probably, probably because I mean, I would imagine that people are so scared to even say these thoughts out Absolutely. loud. Absolutely. So, kind Absolutely. of like you modeling saying something that also would make you uncomfortable. Exactly. The idea is probably so important uh, to model because I imagine any of these things you're saying, even like I'm like, you know, like when you hear certain mm-hmm. things, like, hmm, let me imagine banging my brother. Or this or that. And it's absolutely. Like, not only know, are we saying banging my brother, you know, so this is, you know, when we get into the treatment, I'll talk a little more about this, but we're not just saying, well, I bang my brother. And, and I don't know if I can talk like this on this podcast, so feel free to <laughs> cut it out. Uh, but where the you know, bitch is, <laughs> if not here, where? Yeah. So, you know, we'll do things. So we have these different types of exposures. We do imaginal exposures and in vivo exposures. So that type of, when we're talking more about like intrusive thoughts and things like that, we tend to do a lot more um, imaginal exposures. So we'll do things like scripts or even, you know, thinking about on purpose, on purpose thinking about things. Um, So it's not just, am I going to go down with my brother? It's okay. I walk into the room and I uh, see my brother and I take off his pants and I ask him to kiss me on my ugh, and just you know honestly just saying this I'm already like ugh, yucky right but imagine if this is your trigger you literally are torturing people torturing torturing like people are shaking people are crying people are are their hearts are pounding you know everyone obviously their anxiety comes feels a little bit different but Overall, I mean, and so the treatment is basically we're doing that over and over and over and over again. And it literally feels like torture. I feel like I'm torturing them, too. You know, it's 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 an amazing. Um, you know, I, I feel so blessed to be able to to do this work with these people. But, you know, it's it is I feel horrible so half the time. I feel horrible for what I'm doing with them. Um, but it works. So um, I also just wanted to mention, you know, some other. OCD, um, you know, subtypes, for example, like this um, feeling of just right. So sometimes people are like, I need to do, uh, I need to, actually, if you look at, um, I I remember there was an episode on Big Bang Theory. And what's that? What's the funny guy? Sheldon? Sheldon, yeah. Um, And he he was talking about how he goes to the movie theaters and he needs to sit in a perfect, in in this certain spot. because it's like, it just feels right. I, I just randomly thought of that example. And so I, it's kind of like that, kind of, kind of, right? So often people are kind of like, well, so why why are you doing that? Is it because you think something bad's gonna happen? And and the truth is that for the, these people who, who struggle with this OCD of just right, it's nothing other than it just doesn't feel right. So that might mean washing your hands over and over and over. And people are thinking like, oh, it's contamination OCD. No, actually it's just, just right because there's like maybe soap you know, it feels and the water dripping down my finger feels kind of weird or, or, you know, so it's, it's really all about this just right feeling. Um, and then, you know, just there's, so, I mean, there's so many subtypes, but I think one really important one also to mention is scrupulosity. So everything around religion, um, that one it can get complicated, um, but it's also so important to keep in mind that really this is it's a touchy it's a touchy one right because the goal is absolutely it's actually the opposite absolutely not to get you away from your religion it's the opposite we want you to like actually go towards your relationship however we want you to do it in a way that's like you healthy. feel happy exactly healthy and and that you feel like you're really doing it in a genuine way and you're not doing it because what if right so for example um, I'm Jewish myself, actually. So I think, Liat, I think I told you about this one. But um, there's one person that I remember um, whose compulsions were around, I need to do um, these prayers and I need to do it in a specific tone to sound just like the Rebbe. And it was like, okay, so, you know, with the compul- with the exposures and with uh, the work we were doing. Um, That's like I a big actually- old rabbi for anyone listening. There's like one famous rabbi who was like the rabbi and they say the rabbi exactly yeah so it was like he needed to sound just like him otherwise his prayers weren't good enough right so you know when you think about it like wait a second so and this is you know something that i say to them often and they hate it is are you doing this compulsion for you or are you doing it for the compulsion like sorry what they are you do so exactly. Are you doing this compulsion beca- to feed your anxiety 
or are you doing it for the purpose of your, your prayer and because of your faith? And most often than not, it's to, you know, to reduce that anxiety. So it has nothing to do. So, you know, they'll tell me, Laura, no, but I need to do it this way. Do you really need to do it that way? Or does it feel like you need to do it that way? Because that's completely different. And when if the feeling is so strong, it's kind of like you, you, you don't realize that there's actually other, other Oh, I, I'm like that. I like, absolutely. When I was going through a really difficult time in life, like I spoke to this like high up rabbi and he's like, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to say three to heal him a day, which is for anyone listening is like a Psalm, like three mm-hmm. Psalms a day and give money to, um, an orphan or a widow. So like I continually will give that money and I will like, if I miss a day of saying three, I'm like freaking out because I'm like, oh my God, no, like, and I'm healthy now when I was in such a bad place. And so it's like this obsession almost. I mean, mm-hmm. part of it, I like it that I have like some connection of something that I do, but also things definitely do become fear driven as well, so, you know? Because what if? What if I don't, you know, do it perfectly that day? Or what if um, I forgot to say the last part of, of the prayer? Or what if um, I didn't give it to the right person? The I don't know. It, it's it always something can possibly potentially not be perfect, in which case you're doomed. Everyone's doomed. So I want to ask you a question because, you know, a a lot of people listening in general and a lot of us have experience working with individuals with autism and, um, you know, I don't know the comorbidity or if it just shares a lot of similarities in terms of um, a need for things in a specific order, um, which also sometimes could like lead to behaviors um, you see a lot of like, even my brother who's on the spectrum, like the way he'll like line up his stuff in his room at night before he goes to bed. Um, just a lot of different things. Even my brother with religion, like when he went to the clinic that I worked at, he'd be like, you know, go my house, you know, Jewish, like taking these rules so literally as like, it would literally, and I'm like, I swear we don't raise him like this. Like, <laughs> We don't care like where you're from, you know. He'd be like, "You China, my house Jewish." Like you're Chinese, <laughs> like my house is like we're Jewish. So like yeah. I don't know if this is gonna work. And I'd be like mortified sometimes, like oh my god, they're gonna think. But I want to know first of all, like how that distinction is made, maybe, and also, I I have noticed a lot of kids, for example, who aren't even on the spectrum who have some OCD tendencies. Like even my niece who's in town right now, like she could literally wipe herself for like 35 minutes because it's never dry enough. And so it's like, when it when is it like, okay, that's that's a toddler with, you know, or whatever it is, or when is it like, this is, problematic that she's spending 40 minutes wiping herself after she pees. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question. I think it it really depends. I think that that's something to be monitored. So yeah, like, you know, it's definitely if somebody is spending 40 minutes wiping themselves, that that, that's actually can be an OCD behavior. However, you know, there might be other things going on also, you know, so I, I wouldn't be able to specifically speak to them. Um, so I want to try this exercise with you guys that I tend to do actually with, um, family members of, you know, our loved ones of sufferers. So that's actually a really awesome component of, you know, this level of care is that we're able to do this, um, family, um, involvement. So when I have, um, family sessions with parents or, or loved ones, I try to kind of give them this opportunity to kind of, kind of feel like what it's like to have OCD. And let me just mention, this is not my um, little activity. I'm totally stealing this from Dr. Jonathan Grayson, who's amazing. Um, but so I'm just going to try this little activity with you guys because I think it's, it's pretty cool. People tend to like it. So Let's can you just it. grab a piece of paper and a pen or pencil? Mm-hmm. Okay. And 
on that paper, I want you to write, and of course, whoever's listening is welcome to do the same. So on that piece of paper, I want you to write, I want, and then write the name of somebody that you love. And then write, to die a horrible, painful death. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Leoth's really like, uh, it. do I do this? I literally don't even know if I can get my finger to, like, write this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If Matt finds this piece of paper, he's literally going to be like, what in the actual fuck, Casey? <laughs> I'm, like, sick right now. <laughs> I want to know who you wrote, Liat. My mom. Oh. I'm sick. <laughs> Why? What, what are you I thinking? Like to even think <sighs> that and put that into the atmosphere. I know. I literally feel sick right now. I'm crossing oh. it out. <laughs> I'm crossing it out. <laughs> Leah, did don't scr- Leah, did you already scratch it out? No. Okay, so <laughs> did you did you Casey, did you scratch yours out? Yeah, it's black. No. <laughs> <laughs> so why? It made me feel horrible. Like if I would speak that into existence, I would be the one that caused that. So by writing that, I mean you didn't even speak it out. You you just wrote it. Yeah. So and and so because you wrote it, then that means it's gonna happen? Yeah. Basically. Does that does that seem logical? No. But it's all I could okay. think about as I wrote it. That it would and it feels like it's real. I think Casey yeah. also, not to call her out, but I think she does have a lot of obsessive thoughts in general. She's just been like extra quiet this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have. Yeah, we all do. We all do. We all do. Absolutely. But so, uh, yeah. So, Liat, since you didn't scratch yours out, I'd like for you to fold that paper up and put it in your pocket or your wallet or your purse or somewhere that's on you at all times. So my guess is that in a few, as soon as we hang up, you know, this is like getting burned. Yeah. <laughs> no, my, so my <laughs> guess is that, you know, obviously it's, it's very uncomfortable right now, but like in, in an hour, maybe even in five minutes, 10 minutes, as we keep going, um, talking, you'll kind of get over and forget it, not get over, but kind of forget that it's even there. Right. So you'll be able to kind of keep living with your life. However, right now it feels like it's real. Right. So right now, um, some of the behaviors, right. So the, the scratching it out, right. So, or avoiding it, not wanting to engage with the thought, right. Trying to push the thought away. Right. But just because I had this thought and this feeling, it makes it feel really real. Right. So that's kind of like, kind of this feeling of when an OCD sufferer has these thoughts, and it's like, well, you know, it's so stupid. Like what? Just because I wrote it on a paper and now it's going to happen? It seems stupid. And it, and it is, yeah, like hypothetically, logically, it, you know, it, that's not really how we kill people unless you guys have figured out a way to do it that way. And then that's really cool. And then in which case you should probably go work for the FBI or something. But so far, that's not, you know, what I've learned. That's not how you kill people. So, um, you know, might this as well. This is a crazy exercise. Like, yeah, I can't explain to you, like, how weak my arms are feeling even holding this piece of effing paper. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like this. So imagine, you know, having that piece of paper in your wallet or your purse or your pocket and literally feeling like the worst person in the planet, because what if this thought now happened? What if this thought, like it actually comes true, right? Is it because I wrote it down on the paper or is it because it just happened? Right. What if, what if it was, you know, a car accident or something like that? right? You'll never really know what the real reason was. So the difference between a sufferer and a non-sufferer is that the sufferer is definitely not going to forget about the fact that that piece of paper is in there. The non-sufferer is definitely, you know, after after some time, you just kind of get used to it. You're, you're able to habituate really quickly to this feeling, right? So um, compared to someone who whose fear this is, right? Um, it's it's yeah, funny. So, I I, yeah. I go into like a, a just to let you know what's happening in my private yeah, events please. in my brain. I immediately was like, like talking to myself these private conversations, right? Like God's a big part of my life, so I'm like, Leah, you know, you're not the master of the world. It's all in the hands of God. And not to be mentalistic to anyone listening, um, God's the ultimate power. You could tell God whatever you want Him to do, but ultimately every single thing is pre-decided for you and you have absolutely no power in this. So like, this is literally, this is my exact internal dialogue that I've been saying, like 
what is already planned for everyone in your life is already planned. That's all reassurance. Right. So like, way, I, like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm going through this and exactly. I guess that's like yeah. my coping mechanism. Yep. Yeah. It's, and it's a normal coping mechanism. You know, it's appropriate. It makes sense. Right. Like we want, like, it's crazy. You know, you, you think like you feel bad, you do something to make you feel better. That's what, <laughs> that's what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. However, unfortunately when it's an OCD behavior, and you're doing something to make yourself feel better, you're actually making that strong that that feeling stronger, that thought stronger. So it's it's so annoying because, right? Like it's like I want to help myself, but like I can't do the thing that I want to do that's gonna make me feel better, right? Like, you know, so like be would calm. you yeah. make someone write something down like this? Oh, that's that's <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's like or you're just stuff. doing this to me as a non-OCD sufferer no, no, no. to feel absolutely. It. No, yeah. So I mean, so this is an exercise I tend to do. Uh, with people who are non-OCD sufferers, but this is also definitely 100%, if not worse, uh, the type of scripts that I would do with somebody who is scared of of harming their mom or or is afraid that their that their loved one could be killed right now. And the truth is that like we really have no idea. It, you don't know right now. Like, are you sure your mom is alive right now? Oh, Laura. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> You're really blowing up my brain right now. Now I'm like, ah, they must like, hate you. Can you assume that she is, though? I would assume that she's alive right now. I okay, when did right you speak to her? This. Okay, you did. Okay. So, yeah, so that's an assumption. We can all make that assumption. I assume my mom's alive, too. Um, however, what if, you know, after our last text, we texted earlier also, like, what if, you know, someone, uh, a shooter came in? You know, now there's a lot of, of sh- people, with these school shootings and stuff, whatever, these shootings. What if somebody walked into where she is and, and shot her and killed her? I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> God, yeah, your poor mom. What did she do to deserve this? She's the best. Mama, I love you. You're an angel. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're right. There, So you have to be okay. With you know, knowing. we actually had a guest on about um, – selective mutism Mm -hmm. and he sent us these gifts after the show and there were these magnets that said get comfortable being uncomfortable absolutely yeah of just this this idea of like that's uncomfortable like that's not how I want to sit feeling like what is written on this piece of paper right here Mm -hmm. and I mean I could only imagine like this is so uncomfortable for me but I could only imagine you having someone else, right? Like, um, I want to stick my tongue up my brother's butthole. Exactly. Like, yeah. The idea is like, like just so uncomfortable to put someone in such an uncomfortable situation. Casey, you said you had like some weird thought one time and it like drove you nuts. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm not. But we all out. we all have. Um, I have a little brother, and for some time, every time I changed his diaper, ugh, right? I'm getting like cringing just thinking about it. Every time I change his diaper, I think like, do I want to like touch his penis and make his penis hard right now? Like, I could totally just do that right now. And it was like, oh my goodness, how this is so gross. How could I possibly? But that's a normal thought. New mothers have thoughts like that all the time. Liat get prepared like you know especially with babies actually that's a that's a big one right like this little innocent beautiful perfect little thing I could totally just you know throw it out the window I could totally um choke it to death I could totally you know do all these things I could stab it right and it's all with this and it's intrusive right so these intrusive thoughts are poking and poking and poking and the reaction is Go away. Stop bothering me. I don't want to have that thought. I don't want to, God forbid, you know, poo, 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 as my grandma would say, you know, like Mine all too. those things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, knocking on wood, things like that. Those are all compulsions when in reality, like, yeah, you t- totally can like stab your baby, you choke your baby, whatever. But how, you know, that's when it, we have to be willing to live in that green air. Great. I'm looking at the green thing. Um, be willing to live in that gray area. Um, and be able to kind of sit with not knowing because the truth is anything is possible. 
right? We really, it's very easy to, to I'm sorry, I'm talking about parroting babies and you're pregnant, but um, it's just anything is possible. And then, you know, sometimes as people go through treatment, then I'll get into a little bit about the difference between possible and probable, right? Because maybe it's not as probable, but it's still possible. Um, but so whenever you're engaging in a behavior with the idea of reducing your anxiety, whether it's OCD or just anxiety, right? Beware of that, you know, see that I, I always see this as like a little red flag. If it's something that is, you know, it's for the wrong reasons here. I'm not doing this for anyone other than the OCD monster on my shoulder. Um, you know, so you know how people in the movies, you see like the little devil and the angel on the shoulders. I, I tend to picture um, OCD as kind of like this little fat monster on your shoulder. And he's fat because you've been feeding him so many compulsions, right? Um, and everything that it loves to eat. So our goal in treatment is to actually put that uh, that monster on a diet, on a starvation <laughs> diet, basically, um, and start eliminating all of those um, compulsions not and unhelpful behaviors. Not exactly. reinforcing those thoughts. Exactly. Extinction. Put exactly. that little OCD monster on extinction. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like, you know, that's, that's the goal in treatment technically, right? Habituation, right? So, so tell us about the treatments aside from this piece of paper of like petrifying someone. <laughs> um, what does the treatment look like? The gold standard for OCD treatment is CBT and, uh, and ERP combined with medication. And we primarily tend to use SSRIs. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't do meds, so I'm not going to get into that part. But, um, you know, there's definitely people who don't like to be on meds and don't want to do the med part. And it's not that it's not doable. It's just you could tell what a difference once, you know, meds. And then there's the whole stigma issue that I'm not even going to get into that because I could, I could talk forever about that. Um, so anyways, so when we're talking about um, treatment for OCD, so unlike with other anxiety disorders, um, with OCD, we're never trying to find proof or facts. So the goal in treatment is to learn to live with uncertainty, as I was saying before. Um, so without knowing if the thought and the feeling could potentially be true. So it's basically just risking, risking things constantly. Um, in ERP, so in exposure and response prevention, we are exposing ourselves or, you know, individuals are exposing themselves to their triggers and their fears and they're preventing the response. So basically, you know, the exposure and response prevention. I think that that's something that people tend to forget, right? So it's not just exposure, it's response prevention. If anything, that's the really, really, really important part. So I can very easily, you know, have somebody um, with contamination fears, you know, will, you know, have them touch uh, a bathroom, you know, in the sink, the counter of a public bathroom, the counter, you know, people tend to not want to touch Ew, that stuff. Or, like the bathroom or, or in a plane seat. or something. That's, I'm putting it nice and beautiful for you, but really, really, I would probably have them touch the toilet seat, um, you know, and then they'd be like, ugh, yuck, you know, like holding their hands up, like, ugh, like walking like surgeons and in, in this like thing of like, I'm not going to touch anything. When, and then they could just go to the sink and wash it off, right? So, okay, cool. Oh, I felt the anxiety when I touched it. It was so yucky. And here I go, I wash my hands. And, oh, God done. Okay. So that was a compulsion. So I just undid this awesome work that I just did this, this, um, you know, this exposure. So again, the response prevention, so exposure, I'm going to touch this really dirty thing. And I'm not going to do the response that I typically do with the purpose of reducing my anxiety, which is the compulsion, which would in that case was washing the hands. So which for us would function as escape. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's why that's, so important in that treatment and people tend to talk a lot about the exposures the exposures the exposures but you know wait so actually, would you be like yeah. okay i need you to go touch the sink and flusher in a public toilet mm -hmm. which even to me right now i'm like feeling uncomfortable like i'm like <laughs> really weird about like peel washing their also ever since i got a health issue i'm like very germaphobe yeah. you could ask case um but so would you be like, okay, now time to put on your face cream? Absolutely. Ab yes, exactly. You um, would? Yeah, I'd actually. Like, in the no, I'm not touching my face <laughs> after. Yeah. In fact, yes, that's exactly the exposure. That's a great exposure, actually. Good job. So, you know, a really important part of the exposure is not just touching it because we touch it. 
ah, yucky, disgusting, and then cross-contaminate. That's the most important part, right? Because I could just like walk around like a surgeon all day and I'm, I know my hands are contaminated, but like, okay, now what? Like, what's that going to do for me, right? So then I say, okay, now touch the face, touch your clothes, go to your room, touch your bed, touch your pillow, touch everything, everything that your OCD is telling you like not to do. Like ride the it. subway and then lay on your bed or something? Exactly, exactly. Wait, I don't think I'm OCD and I'm like panicking about this. This is like yeah. disgusting. It, it is, right? But So this is the thing, like when we're doing treatment for OCD, we go to what we call the zany, right? So doing things that are out of the norm, out of like, just kind of out of our comfort zone, definitely, but also, you know, to the extreme. So typically, the average person with or without OCD, well, definitely not with, but without OCD is not touching toilet seats and, you know, yeah, you're touching the, the, the handle, maybe. Um, So on a regular basis, you're not like, touching toilet seats, you're not doing all these really gross things. However, with the exposures, we do want to go to that extreme and that weird area, by the way, side note with a therapist, I don't want you doing these things on your own unless you know, because it could it could overwhelm someone if somebody starts doing exposures, and starts, you know, um, doing these super intense exposures, they're gonna say like, screw this, I'm done, I'm never doing that treatment again. So we start at a much lower level than that. But um, so when we're doing the reason we ha- there's a reason why we're doing like those really extreme level of exposures is because the, the thought is that when the person discharges from our program or discharges, you know, there stops, um, there is, let's say when a person is not engaging in these compulsive behaviors and is not in, in these treatment programs or in consistent OCD treatment, they're going to it's kind of like they'll, I don't know if regress is the right word, but kind of get to a point well, where it's, it's like, is it like if they could do that level of it? Exactly. Exactly. They could do this. Like for me, exactly. I'm, as you say these things, I'm like, that'd be like me putting like baby oil on my face. Like I don't want anyone ever touching my face because what if their hands are oily? Absolutely. And then it'd exactly. be like putting baby oil on your face or something. Yeah, or Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, like going to like the extreme and it's like, sitting and then the problem the thing is that in that moment we're having the person really sit with the possibility that you just got you know I don't know HIV on your hands because that's you know that's a actually a pretty common one right a lot of like uh HIV or AIDS like and get it from that is my obsession (laughs) I I went to EMDR for that I thought everyone was trying to give me AIDS yeah so like everyone's walking around with a needle fit like covered in HIV absolutely yeah and so, or like, I have a little red thing. What if that's a cut? And what if then I can, you know, give it to somebody else or, you know, but, and then the thing is that most often than not, or, or really, I think most always, <laughs> I think, um, these you'll, you'll hear and you'll see that these compulsions are actually totally irrational. Like you don't get AIDS from touching something that somebody would aid, you know, like that's not how you get it. Um, however, it feels that way. So people engage in these compulsions that they basically make up because it just feels like this is what's going to make it feel better. However, that just kind of gets worse and worse and worse. These compulsions get stronger and more complicated, um, and so unhelpful. So basically like with the treatment, we're trying to have you kind of sit with the, the possibility that this is possible. And then with time, you kind of learn like, oh, actually I can sit with this and I don't need to kind of like do a whole um, compulsion right now. So my last question, cause I know we're running out of time is, um, even though I have so many for you, cause I find this so fascinating, but let's say s- someone listening now is, you know, either they're struggling themselves or they know someone who is struggling. First of all, have you seen successful outcomes from these evidence-based treatments you are doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, It's honestly, I think this, the work that we're doing is so rewarding because you see these people coming in, I mean, in in the worst moments of their life, um, you know, people who maybe, you know, are even feeling suicidal also and who who are ready to like just end everything and are, you know, willing to just 
say, well, let me give this try. Give, let me give this a try. What if this helps me? It's possible that this could help me. And and the truth is, that's a that's a really scary thing sometimes, right? Because again, this treatment is so funky, weird, right? Like you would think we're actually making the person a little bit worse, um, you know. But it's it really it really teaches the person. Wait a second, I could do this. And even though I have these behaviors that I feel I need to be doing, um, they're really actually not doing anything at all. It's just kind of like a Band-Aid. And, and this is the treatment. This is the stuff that actually is going to make me feel so much better. The reason I wanted to ask you that is because when Eliran and I hated each other a couple months ago and I'm like, I need out, I need a divorce, I need this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, there's no fucking way there's help for this. And so I was just like looking up anything online that would tell me like the success rate of couples therapy. And thank God I did it. I could see our relationship has completely changed, but I just want anyone listening who is struggling or who has someone in pain and struggling with this to understand that there is hope and resources. And where would someone find these resources? So I would say, number one, the International OCD Foundation. I mean, this resource is amazing. There's there's literally a section when you go to the IOCDF website, they have the option for you to pick by location, by specific thing. If you want, you know, support groups, a psychiatrist, a therapist, whatever it is in your specific area, um, location wise, they will help you, you know, they'll give you a whole bunch of options. Um, you know, I think people, unfortunately, I mean, I live here in Miami, and I unfortunately have been seeing this pretty often is that if you go to, for example, psychology today, and you're looking for somebody who works with OCD, um, you're going to find a million people because apparently everyone treats OCD. However, that is not true. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who put that they do um, work with OCD and are familiar with the treatment for it. And unfortunately, we see and we hear of so many people who come to us who have been you know, really doing like talk therapy or... Um, using a lot of like rationalizing and things like that, which is mm, so painful and it's so frustrating to hear. So I would say start by going to IOCDF, the International OCD Foundation website. Rogers, of course, is also a great um, resource. We, you know, we do free screenings so people can give us a call and we'll just kind of like assess, hey, tell me, you know, what's up, what's going on. And the person on the phone can actually tell you like, this is something, you know, they could recommend what would be specifically for each person, what would be the most beneficial for them. Wow. Okay, guys, if you are someone listening in, first of all, again, for you or someone else, we will definitely put these resources in the show notes there for you to um, look at or share with someone else who might need it. Laura, thank you so much for coming on. I know when Laura and I spoke originally, I think it was meant to be like a 10-minute phone call, and I think we spoke for like an hour and a half because she also likes like the um, maybe the abnormal psych or human behavior, which we spoke about for a long time. So thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure. You guys are awesome. And thank you guys for everything that you guys do also, because it it really is. I'm, I love what you guys have done for my sister in her journey to becoming a BCBA. So I really appreciate that. We love you, Amanda. And we love you, Laura. So love thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Guys, you know where to find us. You can find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Patreon, Behavior Bitches. No, Patreon, patreon.com slash Behavior Bitches Podcast. Or you can find us on our website, www.behaviorbitches.com. Thanks, guys. And as always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us 
Get Started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 